0: Howdy, howdy, how we doing, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Just Saying Sports for yet another episode. What is this? Our third of twenty nine. Keep the train I am your host today, Jake Atten. Up here with me is the great Sean Dwyer. How you doing? We just got done digesting quite a bit of playoff football. The championship games were on Sunday, and uh, we wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about look towards, well, talked about those games and did a look towards the Super Bowl a little bit for you guys. Uh, We'll have a little bit more uh, in the next week or two uh, coming up for the Super Bowl, but just want to give you our knee-jerk reactions of what today's games meant, how they fared. They both went into overtime, which was the first time that's ever happened, which is, you know, showing that these were some really good teams and all really deserving. But after we get done talking about NFL, uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of College basketball talk because Sean and I have recently been drooling over some Ken Palm statistics, and we want to inform you about some of the things that we've heard. Now, if you guys don't know who Ken Palm is, he basically does advanced stat analytics for college basketball, and they go so in depth; it's it's really really cool. And we're gonna break some stuff down for you guys later on, and. Sean definitely has some really, really interesting takes on some of these guys with the numbers. So we'll get into that a bit later. But just to start off with, Sean, we know LA beat – or the Los Angeles Rams beat the New Orleans Saints by three points in the first game of the day in the NFC Championship game and then just finished up with the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs winning in overtime on a touchdown drive from, once again, Tom Brady. So we'll start off with we both chose the Saints – Uh, to win the Super Bowl. That obviously is not going to happen now, so our predictions didn't go back too good, but what did you think about two overtime games for the championship games? Well,
1: I thought it was great for football as a sport to have both games going to overtime in the national spotlight, everybody watching. It was great for the brand of football, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it was great that you have the Patriots back in the Super Bowl. It's a 50-50 for me on personal feelings and probably the state of football feelings is I'm just about tired of watching the Patriots, but at the same time, you know, it's great for football that we had two amazing games today and that they're both teams that won those games. I mean, obviously they're going to be in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. it's going to be a great game.
0: Well, I mean, the way that they both turned out, you know, nothing short of spectacular late game, uh, you know, late game comebacks, making, you know, everything, taking out all the stops possible to try and win these games. I love watching that and, yeah, I mean, I told you guys, well, I can't say I told you guys, but I, I knew that New England wasn't going to just falter uh, in this spot. You know, I was just saying uh, to someone, New England has to fail in order to lose. They don't just get beat. Um, you know, they have to have some type of epic failure. Now, had that Edelman punt botch been different, that might have been a different story.
1: Well, um, I don't really know. They threw a pick on the next play, and then Casey scored a touchdown. So, I mean, yeah. either way, city got points off of that. It's just the Chiefs' defense that was been horrid all year and been historically bad. Couldn't get the best quarterback of the ne- apparently the next best generational quarterback the ball back in overtime, and that's just that what doomed the Chiefs was they're going to have to put a lot into that, that defense.
0: Yeah, I do wish that they would have had a chance to score. If they, I wish they could modify the you know, playoff rules where they play like a whole period or something well, NFL, like
1: that? NFL overtimes have to go to college overtimes, too. It's it's time. You know, it's a lot more exciting, I think, that you've got teams going back and forth, trading touchdowns and field goals in manageable field position. And then I, I it just adds a little bit of intensity to it to me to have that do-or-die attitude where if you give up a score, you've got a chance to redeem yourself. Or if you score, you've got to stop them now. You don't just score and the game's over.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm on, I'm on the same boat, and you know, just like, uh, you know, the LA Rams, they got an interception in overtime and took them down, and Greg Zuerlein hit a 57-yard field goal to take the win, uh, once again. That's not how I thought the game was going to pan out, but, no. well, I, well, honest to God, I mean, LA Rams are one heck of a football team. They have, they have stars from top to bottom out there, um, on offense and, on- so. You know, you think about the weapons with Todd Gurley, and C.J. Anderson has beasted it up in the playoffs um, after them signing him right before the playoffs, whatever, week 16 or week 17 or whatever it was. And uh, then you got Jared Goff throwing to Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, a couple of downfield threats. You got their defense with Aaron Donald and, and Amigan Sue on that defensive line. I think that, you know, that right there is going to cause some trouble for Tom Brady because he is getting old really going to put pressure on him it's going to it's going to take a toll so i'm really excited for the super bowl i do wish that we could have seen another iteration of Kansas City and LA that 54-51 game that they had during uh, the regular season because that would have been a crazy super that bowl that
1: game would have been a that game repeated would have been an amazing super bowl but uh going back to real quick what you mentioned with the rams and the chiefs i think the rams personnel wise i think they do match up great as a, as a foe for the patriots and it could you know, really putting in stop to their run they're on right now. But how, the thing about this, the Brady-Belichick run started by beating the Rams. Could it, this be the last time this Patriots team makes a Super Bowl run everyone's been talking about and it's against the Rams? Could this, could this just be two bookends? Win or lose, Patriots putting the bookends on their dynasty with wins or a win and a loss over the Rams?
0: Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. You know, starting it out like that, and then going full circle, uh, bringing it back, having them beat them out when they're out in LA now. But uh, I mean, just knee-jerk, we, we can we can come back to this uh, storyline. We dive up. in a little bit more. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, who do you who who do you got as of right now? Uh, New England and LA, straight up.
1: My heart says the Rams, just because I want New England to lose, but my head says New England, just because. I mean the Patriots have given me no discernible nothing to go against them in the playoffs ever so I'm kind of torn right now but if I had to make gun to my head choice it would be the Rams.
0: Yeah, I uh like I said before I think that the Patriots would have to majorly fail uh think about 28 to 3 against MVP Matt Ryan. Um think about the things that they've done year after year to make this all happen. I can just, even with all the stars that are in L.A., I think I might go with New England uh, just to start with. That that Brady-Belichick bunch is, it's incredible, you know, and they know exactly what they're doing. Just watching Tom Brady, you know, on that last drive, he was making pinpoint accuracy throws in four-degree weather in the fifth quarter. So I don't think there's any signs of slowing down for them, and I think the youth will probably get to L.A., and the experience will really help. Uh, you know, nine Super Bowl appearances for Tom Brady. That's nothing to scoff at. He, can, he, can literally, he has enough Super Bowl experience for the entire LA Rams organization. Yeah, so, it's just, it's,
1: that's amazing. That's an amazing stat.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, I, I think it might come back to bite him. So as of right now, I'll take New England. But once we dive a little bit deeper into it, we'll see how we go. But we do only have one game left of the NFL season. It's been a good one so far. I mean, these just to start, I mean, those championship games with the Saints, the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Patriots, I think we got the four best teams, you know, in the NFL playing today and going into overtime. I think that showed.
1: Yeah, I do think that showed. But um, one thing we haven't touched on yet, and I think uh, we would be doing a disservice to what's popular in sports right now, if we didn't talk about it, was the apparent no call right there at the end of regulation between Saints, Rams. Um, before I give my take on it, Jake, what did, what did you think about
0: that? Well, actually, it was, I understand, especially because it's in the situation. Um, but there was actually another no call on the same guy, maybe like four or five minutes earlier. And I was sitting there just like, what is going on here? Uh, I mean, I think it was pretty clear. I'm pretty sure they came out and said that it should have been called, uh, already. But I mean, that gives the Saints the game, basically. Uh, if, if they're right there.
1: What good is that with the NFL coming out after the game? being like, yeah, our bad. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. So what's the point? What's the point of them coming out and saying they messed up if it's not going to change anything? I just don't like that they do that. They come out afterwards with that, uh, you know, the guy the report, on the basketball yeah. court, tapping his chest with the, you know, my bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah, it is your bad, and nothing you can do can change it. So why, what do we got to hear about it for? So that's just my. That's my feelings on that two minute report kind of deal thing that they do
0: yeah i mean i i I hate that they have to come down to stuff like that, but you you never really you never really can say because every game there's stuff like that it just has to happen at the worst time so
1: yeah that's what that's leading me into what I'm going to say is you know there is you know people are passing around the screenshots of all the missed calls that went against the Rams you know leading up to that one that went against the saints, and it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Um, my thing is if that play happens in the second quarter and there's the same situation, same no call, we're not, we're not even talking about it happening. It's just the fact that it happened in the last minute of the fourth quarter in a, tight in a game. situation, where, in a situation where if the Saints get that call, it in essence ends the game Yeah, because they can hold, they can hold onto the ball, bleed the clock and it ends the game. So the only reason we're talking about it is the situation. Um, yeah, it's a crappy situation, and I'm sure the Saints wish that the NFL referees would have called it, and I'm sure that they wish that, you know, maybe their defense would have gotten a stop instead of letting the Rams go down the field to tie it. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a lot of things at the same time, but the, it should have been called, but at the same time, you know, at the Rams, the Saints come out in overtime, they throw the interception and give the Saints the short field. Or the so Rams. The Saints get the Rams, I'm sorry. They let the Rams take the ball in the last minute of the fourth quarter and go down and get the tie-in field goal. So there's a lot of stuff that could have gone differently for the Saints to actually win the game with that no-call happening. But, yeah, yeah, it sucks. So referees, NFL referees still suck is the official uh, position of the podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we are going to move away from the NFL. Like I said, we will probably be back to talk about this some more. So make sure you keep your ears open for when that comes in the next week or so. Uh, But we're going to dive into some college basketball talk now, Sean. I know, like we said, we've been looking at some Ken Palm stats and, man, uh, with with these true suiting percentages and efficiency ratings and, man, they even have the home court advantage, you know, listed on there. I love it. So why why don't you dive in? I know we're going to talk about Zion Williamson just a little bit.
1: Yeah, we're going to start by – I know I've got it written out one way, but we're going to – really take it a different way to start with we're going to start with um one of the stats that really interests me is the percentage of shots taken um which basically is an evaluation a number value is assigned that's a percentage to the percentage of shots you take versus your total team's shots taken and that basically means how much percentage of what shots you take your team takes so if your team takes 10 shots and you take five of them that's 50 percent so looking at the guys that lead the country that are kind of some names that people might recognize, and um, is we've got and I don't really know how to say his name, but Davis from the University of Detroit takes 39.7 percent of his team shots. We're going to use him as kind of a case study to explain this stuff to you, and he averages 27.2 points per game. But when you really start looking into all of the numbers that go into that is he's taking almost 40% of his team's shots. So, four out of every t- shot his, his team takes is him. He is not ranked in true shooting percentage. He is ranked, uh, he's got a 42% field goal percentage, and he is not ranked in the nation in offensive efficiency. And Ken Palm ranks, I think, it, the number is the top 1,200 in offensive efficiency. And so if you really start looking more into stuff like that, you get into a guy like Chris Clemens from Campbell, who takes a lot of shots for his team too, averages 29.2 points a game and rank 271st in true shooting percentage. So you see it. What I'm trying to correlate here is that some of these guys who lead the country in points per game, when you start looking at guys like Davis, Clemens, Carson Edwards, Marcus Howard, RJ Barrett's up there too. Just because they take a ton of shots and score a lot of points doesn't mean they're doing what's best for their team. Because when you look at it, the guy who ranks the highest in offensive efficiency out of five I've named, Davis, Clemens, Edwards, Howard, Barrett, is Clemens, and he's 357th. So by doing something like that and taking the most shots, maybe scoring the most points, it's not really doing the best thing for your team. And I think one of the other best examples of this is R.J. Barrett. Um, he takes about 36% of the sh- his team's shots, not ranked in true shooting percentage, very, very low on offensive efficiency, has a 45% field goal percentage, 24 points a game. But is that really all – He is he doing the best thing for his team when you've got guys like Zion, Aaron, and Cam Reddish in terms of maybe facilitating more? So that's my shot take on that, Jake, if you wanted to share anything on that.
0: Well, no, I mean, it, it definitely – it definitely impacts the team as a whole, and you can tell. You just got to think about even, you know, if you try to correlate it to another uh, person, high volume, you know, high point output, the more shots you take, the more points you're going to score. But like you said uh, with the guy from Detroit, he's averaging 27 points a game taking 40% of his team's shots. So imagine at most they're probably scoring 60 exactly. points a game, maybe 65 points a game. You know, that's that's just because he's limiting his entire team's ability to score more points by taking Yeah, and what shots. I'm
1: really trying to highlight here is that points per game really isn't a great indication of you know how much how great you are for your team. It's kind of getting into like advanced baseball statistics, like just because you have a hundred RBIs doesn't mean you're the, the best hitter on the team, or you if you have the best batting average doesn't mean you're the best hitter for the team. This is just we're trying to highlight the basketball equivalents of these baseball advanced statistics and what they mean for basketball.
0: Now, we do want to talk about the other side of the spectrum, uh, now that you kind of have an idea of, you know, how low some of those guys were. And like I said, I want to talk about Zion. I know in these advanced metrics, he's blowing everybody's mind. So I, how much is this a surprise once we got these for us?
1: Um, to me, it was a bit of a surprise. You know, coming into the season, I was under the belief of most people. You know, Zion was exactly what ESPN shows us he is. He's a dunker. He's a guy who's just a lot of highlights. Who know, Nobody really know how much basketball he could actually play if you were the average fan. And I kind of fell into that zone because I wasn't really looking up his YouTube videos or his Instagram clips. And I was kind of taking it all for face value. But once you really start digging into this, you know, advanced statistics and everything, you can see how dominant he really has been this season for Duke. Um, and he's not just the SportsCenter top 10 highlight machine. And he's not just, you know, number one overall in mock draft just because um, there's actually a lot of reasons that back it up. Uh, he's right now ranked First in offensive efficiency for players with a 28% usage rate or higher. So basically he, 28% of Duke's possessions or more end with Zion touching the ball or doing something with the ball. And he has got a offensive efficiency of about 130, which is about seven or eight points higher than second and third place, which is pretty amazing to me. Um, Some other stats that really highlight what he's done for Duke this season is he is ranked uh, eighth in the country in two-point field goal percentage. So you take out all the three-pointers, only focus on those two-pointers. He's shooting seventy-three percent, fourteenth in true shooting percentage, which weighs two-pointers, three-pointers, and I think free throws. If I'm correct, I don't really know
0: for sure. I'm pretty sure it's just um, I'm pretty sure it's just three-pointers, and three pointers are worth one and a half uh, the weight as a regular uh, shot. So you
1: know his number his true shooting is a little skewed but ever since one quick note on that is ever since they've gotten into ACC play Zion's three-point shooting has stepped it up a level I think he's hitting 38 percent in ACC play compared to about 23 percent on the season which gives you an idea that his shooting is getting better the more he's on the court and taking those threes for Duke Um, just another couple highlights here He's top 50 in the country at 13.7% in offensive rebounding percentage, which means when that ball is coming off the offensive, Duke shoots a shot, ball comes down on offensive glass. He's there getting the offensive rebounds for his team. He is right now uh, same about the same top 50 in the country and fouls drawn per 40. And for those of you Michigan State fans that listen to the podcast, to give an example, Nick Ward is currently ranked number one in fouls drawn per 40 minutes at about 87 so that means for every forty minutes of gameplay, he's drawing about eight point seven fouls. Zion's ranked top fifty in the country at six point five, and I can expect that number just to go up and up and up as ACC play starts. Um, I think Zion's a force inside, and Duke's got to start feeding him more of the ball. Um, I talked about his usage rate, which is at a eighty third in the country at twenty nine point three. Uh, He's having a great year for Duke if you look past just the normal points, rebounds, assist numbers, and dunk highlights. And he really is starting to become the number one pick in my mind now that I have access to these numbers and I can really see what he's doing as a further statistical basis, not just with my eyes, but seeing the numbers and everything else put into it together. He's having a historic year, which really I do believe is going to get him that top
0: pick overall. Yeah, I mean another another I told you so moment for me, but I do. I mean, just from the start, I think what I saw with him with just the eye test before we did get these statistics was that he was a dom like a dominating force. Meaning, like his seventy three percent two point field goal percentage, like that's exactly what I expected out of him the entire time because he will bully you around the rim, and if he's within ten feet, he's got the legs under him to do whatever he wants. Now and the other
1: thing, real real quick, based just on that is i can already see what some people are going to say well that 73.3 is jacked up because of all the dunks uh he's not averaging that many dunks in game anymore once they're not playing all the bad teams compared to do like i think he only had two dunks in a game against virginia last night was if i remember correctly one was of course the giant one that made port center but he's not just dunking the ball for these two-point field goals. He's working in the paint, getting his hook shots, getting layups, working on the offensive glass, getting tip backs. So that's just what I wanted to clarify real quick
0: for you, Jake. Well, yeah, and he's not and he's not scared to take that three-pointer. That's another thing is I think he shows that he has a, a full around game. It just needs to be polished just a little bit more, but – when you look at these advanced metrics, it's incredible to see what he's done. I mean, even his true shooting percentage at 68% kicking in his three-pointers, I mean, that, that's that's great. That is fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I love these numbers, and there's definitely going to be more guys that we're going to be looking at, but uh, he's a good benchmark to start off with. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, the offensive efficiency rating, you know, with Zion being up there at 128.5, I know you said that um, – He's seven and a half points over his next competition in John Morant, which man we can talk about him for a second. He's an electric player to watch too. He's starting to really raise his draft stock, even just playing out at Murray State.
1: Yeah, right now, um, what I did is I ranked some of the guys, that people, the names that some people might know um, from watching basketball this season. For for so we're gonna go look at guys with an offensive vision or usage rate over twenty eight percent which means that these guys are getting the ball. They're the guys on their team. Um, people, they rely on them to make baskets and do things on the court offensively. Number one is Zion, as we mentioned, with 128.5. Number three is John Murray State, who is a name that is quickly shooting up draft boards and also just people's mind. Like, he's a name that's going to be in people's minds by the end of the season. Uh, number five is a guy that we, you and me, both really like Mike Dom. Yeah, from South Dakota
0: State. He's yeah, if you listen to, if you, if you to our very first episode of Just Saying Sports, when we did our first bracket show preview, we had a lot of good things to say about Mike Don then. And now he's just showing it even better.
1: Yep. Uh, and then again, going down the list for more names that people recognize, 13th is Nick Ward at 118.4. 25th is another guy who is, like John Morant, wasn't really talked about as being a draft prospect before the season but has really taken off is jared culver from texas tech he's a guy that i really like to watch when he's on tv so if you guys see texas tech on tv keep it on for five minutes and just watch him and you'll see that he really is an nba prospect um i think right now he's snuck his way into some top 10 in terms of mock draft so he is a guy that's going to be worth watching as we get further into the season
0: of course not. We're yeah, we're going to be keeping up on these advanced statistics. We'll update you guys if there's anything else that really sticks out to us. Um, but, yeah, that, that's going to do it for this episode of Just Saying Sport. So, you got to go through our friendly reminders to listen, subscribe, like, share, all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you can find us. Help us out and uh, give us a little bump. As always, follow us on Twitter at Just Saying Sport. Uh, been a little bit more interaction there, and I've gotten a few uh, listener requests, so we're going to start implementing them into the show. So please, feel free, get on there, tell us what you want to hear about, and we will continue to bring you the hottest content in uh, the sports world. Follow me at Jake Adnip, follow Sean at Dwyer se 3 and uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm Jake Adnip. I'm Sean Ware. We will see you yes. next week.